we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 280, aka year six, week 30, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. All right. And since this is your regular weekly call-in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Usually, I would throw it over uh, to you gentlemen to find out what's going on, but all I ever get now is crickets. Chirp, 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 chirp. Um, Which, and I always have something to say anyway. So I'm going to say, how are you guys doing? And let's talk about stuff. (laughs) I'm doing good too. Um, I wanted to talk about one of the articles on your list that oh. is what is the left-right difference in the Libertarian Party? What sure. We'll, we'll jump right into that headline. Um, man, I hate to do this to you again. Fix the microphone because it, it did it again. Uh-huh. And then we'll jump right in. Are you okay with that? If we jump right straight into headlines, Ken? KS? Yeah, okay. All right, okay, let's sure. do it. Mm-hmm. This is this is another one of the reasons why I don't usually like I save the headlines. Because then we don't jump right into it. We'd like talk about what's going on in your world, what's going on in my world. Uh, but here we go. Why there's a left-right divide among libertarians. And I'm going to preface this by saying it's from the Mises Institute. Um, so when we're done with the article, I'm, pre- I'm pre-segwaying into it now. Because I, I had some questions about the Institute in general. Um, you had some fascinating opinions pre-show, Ken, that I wanted to get out on the air. Um, because I had some follow-up questions and I figured it'd be good for the discussion. So why there's a left-right divide among libertarians, uh, from the Mises Institute by Gregory Gordon. Um, if that matters to you amid the social cultural convulsions and boutique displays of urban anarcho tyranny that have taken place in America in recent months, there has been renewed discussion within certain circles of the liberty movement about how appropriate it is for libertarians and their intellectual brethren to self-identify as quote-unquote right-wing or left-wing. While libertarianism itself, which merely requires adherence to the non-aggression principle and a desire to minimize or abolish state power, need not be considered a right-wing or left-wing political philosophy, I contend from a decidedly right-wing perspective that individual libertarians are almost certainly on the right or on the left. All too often, libertarian infighting and internecine squabbles uh, come across as mere navel-gazing, with many mainstream libertarians, especially Libertarian Inc., insisting that they have heroically transcended the old left-right spectrum. Strange enough, some libertarians seem to believe that this spectrum primarily pertains to red-blue politics. Nevertheless, in recent months, there have been some important conversations touching upon rights, human nature, the left-right spectrum, and what being a libertarian actually means. These conversations have taken place on podcasts such as Dave Smith's Part of the Problem, Free Man Beyond the Wall, and The Tom Woods Show, among others. I believe that these conversations are quite useful as they might help convince some libertarians to abandon the hackneyed uh, idiocy of defining and summing up the movement as economically conservative but socially liberal. It is a cheap cop-out, and individual libertarians should not shy away from accepting a right-wing or left-wing label. 
In fact, attempting to do so is an exercise in futility. Stripped down to its very core, being right-wing entails a defense of natural hierarchies and a recognition that human beings are not all the same. This is consonant with thinkers from Aristotle all the way through the revolutionary leaders of the American War for Independence. Thomas Jefferson, admittedly not typically cited as a right-winger, voiced this sentiment in a letter to John Adams. Quote, uh, I agree with you that there is a natural aristocracy among men. The grounds of this are virtue and talents. The natural aristocracy I consider as the most precious gift of nature for the instruction, the trust, and government of society, unquote. Many on the right argument, uh, many on the right argument their worldview by augment, excuse me, I knew it was wrong. Many on the right augment their worldview by noting that there is an objective moral order in the universe and that it is knowable to us. Imperfect human beings are capable of great evil, but also incredible acts of love, mercy, courage, and creativity. The embrace of an objective moral order, i.e. natural law, can be traced back to the Catholic scholastics such as Thomas Aquinas and later on the Jesuit thinkers of the school of Salamanca, who Murray Rothbard considers to be the proto-Austrians in their approach to economics. The very understanding that we are born with inherent natural rights is sine qua non for civil society that is embraced by most anarcho-capitalist, proprietarians, paleo-libertarian minarchists, Ron Paul supporters, and true conservatives on the right. They recognize that the sacrosanct right to private property and free association do not come from any government or collective entity. Critics of the right toss around what they believe to be slurs such as reactionary and counter-revolutionary. Yet, as Jeff Deist and others have argued, when considering the 20th century's long and disastrous litany of egalitarian and status experiments here in the United States, uh, for example, the institutions of the federal income tax, the Federal Reserve, the popular-slash-democratic election of U.S. senators, the New Deal, the Great Society, it is almost impossible for libertarians not to take up a reactionary stance against these statist usurpations. After all, right-wingers contend that not all changes to civil society are desirable and that not all novelty serves the good. There might even be a modicum of wisdom uh, from past generations that should be, be retained and imparted to future generations. The left, on the other hand, is defined by a devotion to egalitarianism, fighting for what they define as oppressed groups and work for what they see as a social and economic justice. They typically promote radical social change and keeping the Ancien Regime in a state of upheaval, believing the, that inclusion and tolerance are more appropriate for a progressive polity than reactionary morality and societal mores. It is a leftist view that human beings are not born with intrinsic natural or God-given rights, rather they are granted and assured those rights by the state or the collective. Any differences that might exist between human beings, whether disparities in wealth, innate abilities, health, intelligence, or even biological sex, could unjustly be exploited, so it follows that there might be a bigger role for the state. These are a variety of different economic views among left libertarians. Some adhere to anarcho-socialism and mutualism as described by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Others on the left practice counter-economics and agorism as promulgated by Samuel Konkin. All left libertarians are against economic and military imperialism. Many of them recognize the labor theory of value along with the rejection of private ownership of natural resources and the means of production as fundamental economic principles. 
In many instances, the line between left libertarians and right libertarians roughly approximates the delineation between thick and thin libertarianism. Thin libertarianism means merely believe in the NAP, the non-aggression principle, the inviolability of private property, and the illegitimacy of state violence. Under subsidiary principles, any government that is allowed to exist has its relatively small, distinct sphere of influence, and it must not intrude upon local communities, and especially not the family. Thick libertarians usually go much further, though, as Lou Rockwell has argued, quote, Proponents of a thick libertarianism suggest that libertarians are bound to defend something more than the non-aggression principle, and that libertarianism involves commitment beyond just this. One such proponent recently said, I continue to have trouble believing that the libertarian philosophy is concerned only with the proper and improper use of force, unquote. So, while thin libertarians are primarily concerned with limiting state power and protecting private property, it is thick libertarians who often seek to infuse their political philosophy with leftist social justice exhortations and calls to fight injustice and racism everywhere. Even if the state must eventually be invoked as an intervening power, uh, for example, Gary Johnson's Bake the Cake fiasco or Joe Jorgensen's recent tweet, um, I don't, there's a link to that, and I don't know if that's uh, the the whole Black Lives Matter nonsense. Uh, As Rockwell has noted, this has happened before with what he sees as a degradation of classical liberalism in today's American liberalism. Certainly, it is possible for left libertarians and those with thick tendencies to avoid the siren song of authoritarian power and live according to the NAP, but it could very well represent a constant internal ideological struggle. After all, who would enforce the far-left's desires, ban on private, uh, privately held land and factories? Who would step in and prevent workers from being exploited? What entity will outlaw discrimination, curtail racism, and punish rogue bakers? The differences in economic ethics and worldview among libertarians are plainly evident when libertarians approach political and societal questions, and when they define the scope of their own libertarianism, they clearly do so from the left or from the right. End of the article. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you first, MC, because this is where you wanted to start. Uh, Was this a good breakdown of the left versus the right, and what are your thoughts? I'd probably have to write my own version i'd have to think about it a lot more ah think about uh, it and fix your microphone <laughs> it's doing it i'm, I'm serious it i'm sorry it's doing it again i say it in jest but it, i <laughs> i don't i don't really don't want to cut you off <laughs> sure while we're doing it. yeah so i there we go. i don't know like um what oh my gosh i i i, I think about it more in terms well i've been uh, ever since I found out about him, I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and there's, uh, I think there's psychological reasons why people align, uh, with certain groups. Okay. That's uh, fair. And they, and they have ways to prove that. And so I think it's just natural that people line up, uh, left or right. And then within those things, uh, there's there's other groups there's there's actually i think five personality types and on top of that and uh well did you it, cut out it, he cut out know. and now it's doing it again oh okay yeah i don't know what's going on it's doing it again i don't know you have to do the unplug plug it back in thing again oh my voice is it yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you cut out and then the the voice changed again 
Hello? Yeah. And you're back. Okay. Please continue. Um, yeah. So anyway, as I was saying, I would have to rewrite my own and it would be based on personality types and psychology rather than, um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like the article. I, I'm not sure really what to make of it. I'd have to go through it more closely and was it because it was admittedly from a right perspective so it skewed positive right and i think it was okay so they so they were saying that for for them left is uh the i'm sorry my brain's a little bit slow today um well you you summarized their left i'm I'm struggling to find the words right now It, it sounded to me like way he was defining the left was statist and socialist it didn't sound libertarian at all you know the way they were asking the government i mean i i don't know if that's if that's true maybe i'm just not up on the debates among libertarians and all that but i don't see those kinds of arguments as libertarian i think he may have jumped to some conclusions about how the left would argue certain points well he, he was basically calling them socialists yeah okay i don't remember reading that particular word anywhere in the article no, that's right. But he said state the state intervention. Uh, they would justify state intervention for all kinds of inequalities to to uh, rectify, and I don't I don't see that as part of the libertarian program at all. I mean, I, uh, like uh, he re- referenced uh, Joe Jorgensen, uh, Gary Johnson. Well, let me you, those are politicians on the campaign trail, but I I don't recall them calling for the state to to rectify uh, situations uh, right. and, in the world uh came out a little bit in support of uh black lives matter but that the whole blm term is people that's it's it's a deep... you're very choppy i don't hear yep. most vo- of what you're saying your happy. voice changed again i don't know what the deal is with that cable so the the Joe I I clicked on the link for the Joe Jorgensen thread, uh, the Twitter thing, and it was her her uh, you know Black Lives Matter thing. It's not enough to be passively not racist; must we must be actively anti-racist. Black Lives Matter means uh, standing in solidarity with the mourning Black community as we fight together to end qualified immunity, police brutality, sentencing disparities, and the war on drugs. Not support any organization by that name. That was the follow-up. Okay, well that's when, that's when she took that's, heat for the first one. I know, but that's her interpretation of Black Lives Matter, which I would say is probably wrong. Okay, and and that's the problem. It's it's three words that people put their own meaning onto, but that's the genius of the Black Lives Matter. Uh, slogan it's something you can't really argue about because you know if if you're black your your life probably matters to you and and if you're not you probably assume that some black people's lives probably matter you know it's like so i take the uh, a different approach i say no lives matter except the ones that matter to you fair in 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 the joe jorgensen tweet though the reference wasn't necessarily the black lives matter part but the claim that it's not enough, it's not enough. If you're a libertarian, it's not well, sure. enough to be passively not racist. You can't just be uh, an adherent to the non-aggression principle. You can't just say like, nope, I'm not racist well, that, and that's but, it. But and that's just, if if you think racism is is some big problem. That well, Joe Jorgensen clearly does. Needs, okay, that's and that's her that's her individual thought and whatever, but does that mean we, uh, if she wins the presidency that... 
that she's going to force us all to to care about racism? I don't know. I don't. That's the thing. The, I don't know either. The second <laughs> no, part is I, we must be actively anti-racist. So what does that entail? I don't know. Well, that those are uh, perfectly still compatible with libertarian philosophy. I mean, you can say. I mean, I I think it's wrong to be a, a racist, uh, but I won't. Uh, for example, I think that if you have a, 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 a rooms to rent, rent you you shouldn't be determining who rents your rooms on the basis of um of race and i believe that there's a um, financial penalty to you if you use non performance criteria for making judgments on who you hire and who you rent to and that sort of thing um but i don't want the state to impose that on people and that's where i think where she's making an appropriate thing it's right for for people to be opposed to um racism but it's uh, not appropriate to use the state. And the Black Lives okay. Matter people are fit into both those camps. Some of them want it to be corrected by a state force, and others just want people to change their attitudes. Okay. Uh, I clicked on the link for the Gary Johnson thing as well to find out what the just exactly what the reference was there. And it linked to an article, which I'm not going to read in its entirety, um, from the Foundation for Economic Education, uh, written by Jeffrey Tucker back in 2016. The title of the article is Must a Jew Bake a Nazi Cake? And the uh, the appropriate Gary Johnson reference in here, uh, second paragraph, I'll just read that. Gary Johnson was asked whether he, as president, would retain laws that prohibit discrimination based on religion. He said he would, especially given the current political climate in this country. There's so much anger out there, he said, that he would be concerned about Muslims being denied access to basic utilities, for example. So the just just bake the cake fiasco is basically him saying, you know, don't don't make this an issue. Um, but you know, just if they if the if the if the if the Jew um, if, if if the if a Nazi is asking the Jewish baker to bake a cake, just bake the cake, or vice versa. The if, you know if the Muslim is asking uh, the Christian baker to bake a Muslim cake, just bake the cake. Right. Don't don't make this about politics. Just do your job. Uh, but wouldn't change the laws. Right. Wouldn't 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 uh, change the laws in favor of private property, which includes discrimination, uh, but keep them the same. So there's there's definitely a thin slash thick libertarian divide. Right. When it comes to those issues. And, and think, Joe Jorgen's black libertarian. Uh, as I view libertarian, it is the non-aggression principle. And those who then, like Gary, when Gary Johnson says he wants to use the state to prohibit uh, uh, discrimination, uh, then he's behaving non-libertarian. He's not. He's not holding consistent to the non-aggression principle. Well, but he 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 made that statement as the libertarian presidential candidate. <laughs> so, but that's a that's a political party uh, with a very broad umbrella. And I and I yeah, I mean, I just don't see those as identical the capital l libertarian party is not identical with the philosophy the liberty the small l libertarian philosophy of the non-aggression principle that's why they always have these platform battles at the conventions because i i'd say that um wafflers the uh, fellow travelers who who want to water down the principles in order to appeal to a broader range of voters always have these battles with the principled um libertarians in the platform committee you know because they um and then so that's that's the difference you know do you hold steadfast to the principle 
or do you shape it according to what you think um, the world should be shaped like, you know, by the state? Well, you tell me. Which which do you prefer? Principle. That's that's okay. Yeah. So the article was trying to make the the uh, left libertarians seem like the pro government people. A, you could do the same thing to the right libertarians, and they are pro state when it comes to. All right, you cut out. You cut out there again, uh, and your voice is wonky. I still don't hear you. But here, hello. There yep. now. Okay, the right. Cut out again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to use my mic? I was going to say you guys are in the same house. You might just want to like sit next to each other and just share the good mic. He's the techie, so I'll have to rely on his judgment. No, yeah, I'm fine. Either way is fine. I just, I want to hear what he says, and I don't want to be caught up in the way he sounds he's, when he's really trying to make an, right trying to make a point. in what he says, that the, the right libertarians have their own uses for the, for the state. Often it has to do with um, militarism and interventionism. Well, immigration. And immigration, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's the thing. So if I was going to say what is the, th- there's, there's actually two differences between uh, the left and, and right libertarians. And it, and it lines up perfectly with left and right uh, politics between the conservatives and the, I hate that word, liberals. But, um, and that is uh, people on the right are afraid of people. Okay. And people on the left are afraid of things. <laughs> so the left is afraid of climate change and coronavirus. And people on the right are afraid of people coming across borders all right fair yeah ken go ahead oh that's so true yeah yeah okay and Um, and so they reflect they they shape their their tolerance of the of the aggression uh, of the state uh you know because they don't they don't hold consistently to the principle and he's absolutely right that they they choose sides on those types of things i've heard so many libertarians say oh well you really can't have uh uh free immigration you can't allow people freedom to move to a free place uh, as long as you've got a welfare state which is saying well um because the government intervenes in one part of your life you can't uh, allow other people freedom in other parts of their lives so so in summary fear leads to the dark side <laughs> yeah exactly yeah let, let me ask you uh a, a personal question ken based on this left right paradigm um if you say you don't believe in the paradigm, that's fine. Uh, where where would you self-identify as? Left libertarian, right libertarian, none of the above, because you've transcended the left-right paradigm. Just he's I think Ken's transcended it a little bit because he's he's not afraid of things so much and he's not afraid of uh people so much either. He's he needs he's so he's definitely Ken is definitely not right. And I I guess I should have used KS. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do Do you agree with that, KS? Um, yeah, yeah. I I like to think that I'm that I adhere to the principle, and if I ever deviate from it, and a, a friend who's more principled calls me on it, I come back to the plumb line. I say, "Oh, yeah, you're right. You you got me off guard on that one." Um, and so I'd like to think of myself as totally neutral, but I, I think my, my rearing, if you look back at your life growing up, you tended to, I tended to grow up among the right wing uh, milieu, 
more. And um, so I have a fondness, a little bit more of a fondness for right than, than left. But on other issues, on many issues, the left has, um, you know, on, on the legalizing drugs and ending the, the wars and, um, you know, uh, civil liberties, uh, things like that. And I've always identified more with them on those issues. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to, uh, propose a thought because I've given, I've given this topic, uh, some thought over the years. And a few years ago I was, uh, you know, I was in like the, the libertarian brutalism group on Facebook because Jeffrey Tucker uh, who I think would self-describe as a left libertarian or a classical liberal, um, kind of used the term derogatorily, but it stuck because he defined, you know, the brutalist libertarian as those that strictly adhere to the non-aggression principle and no further. I go fucking perfect. Right. That's the def to me. That's like, that's a definite libertarian. Um, and if you want, if you want to go further than that, uh, prior to having the term brutalist, I always said like libertarian plus, right? Like uh, the, 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 your goals that you were setting or the things you want to see done, um, are noble, uh, but are not fundamentally libertarian, right? So the, the brutalist or the, you know, the non-aggression libertarian position on certain issues, um, go no further, right? You go like, well, what should, what is the libertarian position on helping the homeless and the brutalist position, the, the, you know, the thin libertarian, the, the traditional non-aggression principles, uh, it's a private property rights issue, right? If you, if you have private property rights, you leave it up to the private property owner and none of my business, right? And the, the thicker libertarians, the left libertarians go, well, that's not enough. We must do more, right? We must have some sort of voluntary social program to assist those in need and go above and beyond just the bare minimum requirements to call ourselves libertarians. And they yeah, would I, go ahead. I don't see those as incompatible. The, the, the non-aggression principle is a negative principle, what the government should not do, what people should not do. But the positive side, which is the other side of everybody's life is what you feel you should do in the voluntary world. That's why I, I called it plus, right? I didn't say it was incompatible. Yeah. I called it plus. Sure. Continue. Well, yeah, but I mean, each, but because it's voluntary, each person has to choose for themselves what they, what they, um, I mean, like, for example, you could say, well, uh, I, I see that homeless person. Um, I think there's two very proper, positive approaches to that. I can, I can help that person. I can I reach in my pocket and give them something to get them going for the day. And the other one saying, if you do that, you're going to motivate him to, to, to stop, um, to, to not get a job. And I think that's, a, it's a, both are, are reasonable. There's no fixed answer on which is the, the right way to, to respond. And I, I, you know, I, it's none of my business to, to choose. It's for, I choose for myself. What is the proper response depending on my logical interpretation of the situation but I shouldn't um, be judging the other person because he he didn't see it the way I did. Sure. What if we take it a step further away from that and back to uh, some of what the article said, which is uh, the rejection of private ownership over of natural resources and the means of production. Like th things in nature belong in nature, 
and that homestead, you know, mixing labor with land doesn't apply because everyone should have access to that apple tree over there that produces apples. Well, I think those are very tough, still philosophical issues that are not easy to resolve. I mean, I, I think philosophically we've accepted property rights and we defend them and so on, but where does it start? How does it originate? You know, and I think that's um, open for a lot of a debate, you know, where, where it begins. Is that um, a discussion that should be left out of libertarian for example, discussion? For example, um, if I am the first to see the island of Oahu, is it all mine? Or is it just what I can, the, 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 the plot of, of land in front of me that I can actually till with my own hands? Or none of it. Because, or none of it. Yeah, or none of it. That's right. I mean, I think those are good philosophical roots, but I think it's uh, um, uh, a, uh, well, yeah, you, you, and natural rights, you know, to, to your own life and liberty and property. You know, those are, are good philosophical starts. But I, think I, I generally agree, we, and that's why my question it. is: Should it be yeah. left out of libertarian discussion? Should is that is uh, is the discussion amongst libertarians or the the umbrella of libertarianism is that not the right venue to have those specific philosophical discussions because they don't apply? No, I think it's I, you know anything is open for discussion. Yeah. All right, but go on. Did you have more? You said but, and then I I, I didn't hear you. No, well, I, yeah, no, I just don't want to belabor it, you know, because that's a huge, huge debate on where, where what's the origin of natural rights and what is natural rights and all those. And I, frankly, I'm not all that familiar with the, the philosophical battlegrounds of those things. And I, so I, I just don't step foot into that puddle. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, let's step foot into the Mises Institute puddle because, uh, like I said, we're going to, this article came from the Mises Institute. I asked you, uh, your personal opinion about it, uh, KS prior to hitting the record button. And I thought, you know what, that was interesting enough where I want to, I want to rehash that and maybe go a little bit further on air. I'll preface by saying that, um, I have been aware of the Mises Institute and a fan of the Mises Institute, um, probably 2006 2007 somewhere around there uh, was when i when i first uh, probably i'm gonna say 2007 uh probably when i first uh became aware of it um really enjoyed the writings and it seems over the last handful of years um the the articles that they have put out have tended to lean towards that right-wing version of libertarianism uh as they define in this article, I know, uh, I know MC, you wanted to, you know, write your own article and maybe we'll, maybe we'll hash that out when that's published. Um, but the Mises Institute has definitely taken a more right wing bent towards their publications. Um, there are discussion prior to going on, on the air, uh, KS, you said, well, they have many different authors, uh, writing for them, which is true. Um, but they still choose to publish it, right? They choose to publish the authors that they choose to publish it. So in, in some form or fashion, I think they have to take responsibility for the viewpoints of those authors that they choose to publish. Like if they went, well, this is too far. This is too far to the to the right or the left of the political spectrum. We cannot have that associated with the Mises Institute. Um, and then I said, you know, I, I asked you because you've, you know, 
not that you're old chaos, but you've been aware and around long and in these circles longer than I have. I said, was I naive, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, 10, 13 years ago. Uh, and I just didn't catch that because I was ignorant. Um, or have they really kind of skewed to the right, uh, in, in recent times? Um, and I'll let you re-answer that. Uh, I'll just throw out that same question and let you re-answer it for the record. To tell you the truth, I I don't visit the website very often. I on occasion I've downloaded a lot. I love like the fact that they are um, are uh, are give away a lot of materials. You know, books. Uh, all of Murray Rothbard's stuff is, I, as far as I can tell, I've been able to download for free there. In fact, most all of their stuff they don't worry at all about copyright uh, restrictions and all. As well, uh, they so shouldn't a, because intellectual so, yeah, property. That, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so I've enjoyed getting a lot of stuff from them. I really, really highly respect uh, Walter Block and Per Bielen, uh, two authors that I've read of. Um, one that I don't regard highly is uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe. In fact, I, I, I think he's, uh, well, I, I don't like him at all. Okay. Um, but I, I, I can't say for the general tone of, of their stuff because I just don't visit their website enough to know what their articles have been, but I, I've liked a lot of the stuff I've read from there um, uh, about monetary policy and trade policy and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I, I get a lot of good stuff from them, but I know that they've got some very objectionable positions, uh, you know, uh, that, that some people have, well, I know there's, I've, I've heard that there's this battle between the Cato people and the, and the Mises people. And I don't know the background behind all those battles, just that they exist. For a while, I considered Cato to be much more statist uh, than the Mises Institute because, uh, and when I first started reading Cato again, probably around the same time I found the Mises Institute, they seemed like a great source of information um, and intellectual stimulation. And then again, it's it seems like they they shifted at some point. And I don't again, just being so new at the time, I don't know if I just missed it. Uh, because I, I hadn't been around it long enough to see the pattern, um, or if they actually did shift, uh, Cato has taken up a, a more of a position of, well, this is the world we live in, so these are the these are the most libertarian policies that can be implemented under a status government. Uh, and I never got that from the Mises Institute, right? It was always this, principles. This, this goes way, way back. Um, maybe it reflects my age and all, but uh, I would say in the 1984 Libertarian Party presidential convention. Uh, there was a battle between the Cato people, who were backed by, um, oh, what was his name? The uh, Joe, uh, by Ed Crane. Uh, Ed Crane was sort of the 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 lead figure there at at the Cato Institute, and he had this big falling out with Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard used to write for Inquiry magazine, which was published by Cato, and they. They were close, but then they had this enormous falling out, huge bitter fight between Murray Rothbard, who was the radical libertarian, and the uh, Cato Institute, backed by the Koch brothers, who wanted to take a more, let's say, respectable, uh, nuanced uh, role, more moderate view. And they, they backed two different candidates for the presidential can, uh, uh, race. Uh, David Berglund was the radical, a principled libertarian, Earl Ravenall was the uh, scholarly uh, foreign policy advisor who was going to take the the more 
moderate position that would appeal to a broader range of voters. David Berglund won that nomination. And uh, Cato, essentially, the Cato and the Koch brothers then pulled away from the Libertarian Party, uh, decided not to, to support it anymore. And um, and I think, and, and the, the Murray Rothbard group then um, came to be the founders of this Mises Institute and the Ed Crane group with the Cato Institute. So that's the sort of the origin of that that early on battle, whether to be radical or or moderate was there. And it still is in a way today. But I think you're right that the radical pitch has become in, in the Mises Institute is much more intolerant of, you know, I mean, they, they speak much more um, harsh against their their opponents. And um, it's, it's a tougher battleground there. But in any case, uh, that, that's where I, I'm just thinking some of the roots of this is. Well, let's let's talk about the Hoppe uh, situation as well, because I hear you. I don't necessarily disagree with you, uh, but he has grown to be a prominent figure uh, on the uh, libertarian right, but also the alt-right well out, you know, uh, off the, off the libertarian, uh, spectrum there, um, as you know, like the, the intellectual savior. So if you don't mind, uh, talking some smack, um, what is it specifically that, uh, get your goat or rouse you up about, uh, Hoppe's positions? Well, he's, uh, I consider him hypocritical. He's, um, uh, uh uh, he was from Germany, I guess, and uh, an immigrant to the United States, studied at the University of Maryland, uh, a government-sponsored uh, institution um, supported by taxpayers' funds, um, then later taught at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, also a state-sponsored institution uh, with government taxpayers' funds. And um, when I first heard about him, uh, he came and spoke at the International Society for Individual Liberty uh, World Conference in Berlin, where he talked about free trade and closed immigration. And he raised the ire of everybody at the, well, not every, well, most people at the group because in the conference because he was saying immigrants shouldn't have any rights to, to migrate. And, uh, and he started to espouse this, this notion that because some people in a country don't want to be associated with immigrants views that you don't like or um that that they they must treat all government property in the nation as if it was private property and be able to exclude them and of course that completely denies the rights of all the includers people who want to invite uh, and welcome uh, people moving across the planet to find freedom and uh, I found this completely abhorrent. It's like saying that the, that the slave who wanted to escape from the plantation in the South during the antebellum years didn't have a right to go to the North because uh, the people in the North could have said, well, we don't like blacks. We don't like slaves. We have a right to send them back to the near tormentors. Or when Jews wanted to escape the, the Holocaust of, of Nazi Germany, that it was... Uh, the right of people in America to say, no, we've got our quotas and we're not going to allow you to come because we don't want uh, more people. Well, I'd say that um, uh, every person has a right to freedom and there were people who had a right to invite them, to hire them, to employ them, or to be 
uh, employed by them to do business with them as they chose, and the government had no business standing in their way. Um, so Hans Hermann Hoppe is, has provided this great rationale for a lot of people who hate immigrants and the their ethnic purists, and they uh, and I, I thought that uh, Hoppe was a very hypocritical person himself. You know, he speaks with this this heavy, rich. Uh, German accent after World War II, certainly a lot of people may have found him objectionable, but he still, he didn't listen to oh, the fact that people might have objected to him coming to America. He took full advantage of it, plus the taxpayer's benefit, and um, and is now uh, saying that other immigrants don't have the rights that he did. Doesn't that bolster his position, though? Because, yes, they will take advantage of it. If, you, if, you, if you're giving out handouts, right? Immigrants, uh, good or bad, uh, will take advantage of those handouts. And if you want to live in, you know, whatever his position is, right? You know, uh, you can be you can be a libertarian on welfare, right? There, there are people that hold those positions, or you know, anarchist on food stamps, taking advantage of of, of state handouts. Uh, but if you want to eliminate those things, do you not have to eliminate the bait or you know the prize that comes with it? Is it is his is his position inconsistent with libertarianism um, or do you just take objection to the fact that he took advantage of a situation that he says, yeah, people are going to take advantage of this as evidenced by the fact that I took advantage of this. Yes. I think he's hypocritical in that you can't use one government's uh, uh, intervention in your life as the rationale for excluding all other liberties from other people. If he did, for example, you could say, well, you shouldn't be allowed to have children because after all, if you have children, then then uh, there will be state schools that you'll be going to or that you could be going to. And therefore, uh, because you might take advantage of that, we're going to take away your freedoms to have children. Uh, no, you can't do that. You can't say um, that that the government has the right to take away your freedoms based on another intervention that they already have, that they already impose. Okay. Uh, he he is big in the alt right movement, like I said, uh, yeah. for for similar positions of ethno statism, ethno nationalism, whatever. I can't remember, you know, the the, the well, term he's, for it. He's, yeah, he's very and and uh, homophobic and uh, racist, and I mean, he he justifies all of these, uh, uh, you know, root hatreds that people have, the, these uh, discriminatory biases, and says that it's all justified in, the, in his libertarian concept because you have a right to see the, the, the territory as if it was property, private property, which, of course, it isn't. You know, you could say, well, um, uh, this person isn't invited. Well, I, I open them, openly invite them. You know, he's getting in the way of the rights of all inviters to, sure. to uh, have people come. So I was at dinner the other night. And I said something that shouldn't sound controversial. Um, luckily, I had a libertarian audience. And the, the response that I got back was, yeah, you're right, but it's not the hill I want to die on. So I'm going to say it here. Um, and then let's talk about it in the context of Hoppe and his positions. Uh, what I said was the problem with the, the racial issue uh, is that racism is compatible with libertarianism and social justice generally is not right. So when, when you have these, you know, racist uh, people and racist positions, 
and they want to behave racist and exclude other races from their homes, their businesses, um, strict following of private property rights dictates that they should be able to. And yes, therefore uh, with, with their own property, but not yes, with my property, not with your property. You're right. So from the, from the, uh, from the alt-right, the Hoppian, uh, ethno status, eth- ethno nationalist position, whatever you want to call it. Um, what they, what I have heard from that perspective is, well, we just want to set up our own little community over here, right? Where we can surround ourselves with people of like color and people of like values and exclude everybody else. And if they were able to acquire congruent land, right? Where they, where they were able to like just own all the land in their little community, um, they would be able to keep people out. Now they take it a step further with the Hoppian perspective because he says you have to violently exclude um, those from the left, like the you know the 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 communists or the socialists, because they will attempt to infiltrate and take over, and that's when we get the whole like chuck them out of helicopter memes, um, because it's to prevent it's to prevent the disintegration of your preferred society uh, through infiltration. No, I, I think. You have a right to discriminate as you wish on your own property. And if they can get a collection of people with property, they, they can do that in their community. Um, I, I don't have any problem with that. I have a problem with them trying to impose their exclusive view, uh, their exclusivity onto everybody else in society. Okay. So from a libertarian perspective, right, how do we... Uh, move the the grander society the in our case the united states federal government uh in a direction that allows for more freedom but in doing so grants these ethno-nationalists these racists these homophobes um the ability to acquire their own land where they can exercise these preferences well they can in their own house in their own business and their own i i think it works to their financial disadvantage as Walter Williams brilliantly pointed out in his book, The State Against Blacks, all of the uh, the government interventions uh, uh, really put uh, put uh, discriminators. Um, well, normally in the marketplace, uh, for take for example, somebody who wants to hire somebody below the minimum wage, you know, uh, you, or, or say somebody who wants to hire both men and women. Um, he has to put up a, a wage. I suppose he needs a hundred people to to hire people for his uh, company to produce uh, bread, and uh, he advertises at six dollars an hour, and that's a, sufficient to get a hundred people of both men and women to come to his factory in order to produce bread. Now, somebody who discriminates against all women says, "No, I'm only going to hire men." Then, in order to attract a hundred men, which is twice as many men. Uh, he has to offer a higher wage. He has to offer, let's say, $7 an hour to get uh, 100 men to show up for, for his factory. But well, his, now we have a sexist his, workplace where women earn less than men, KS, because he's got to offer the higher wage. That's right. He's got to, that's right. He's got to work, uh, offer a higher wage in order to be able to discriminate on non-performance criteria. Um, and uh, so the consumer is going to reward the one who doesn't discriminate by buying the bread from the guy who has lower costs because his, his costs are a lot lower and he can offer a lower price. And so 
the one who does discriminate on non-performance criteria will lose business in a marketplace. So now the, the way Walter Williams points it out, it, suppose that the guy who discriminates, who wants to discriminate against uh, uh, all women, can get the law passed to mandate that everybody has to pay the same wage that he's paying to be, to be able to discriminate. Now the non-discriminator has to pay $7 an hour instead of $6 an hour. So there's no dis distinction between the discrimination and non-discrimination. And the consumer doesn't see any difference. So he buys just as equally from, from the discriminator as we're from the non-discriminator. And so therefore, um, there's going to be more discrimination against women in that community because the, the, um, uh, the law, the minimum, raising the minimum wage allowed that. And the way that he points this out is how the huge impact it had on blacks. In 1948, when there was uh, almost no minimum wage law, and it didn't cover very many, uh, uh, a very large proportion of the population, um, the black young people's unemployment rate was actually lower than of white young people. Uh, a young men aged 10, uh, 16 to 17, the unemployment rate was 9% for black men and it was 10% for white men. But over the years, as the minimum wage was raised, it uh, allowed um, people to exhibit their discrimination without penalty, and it led to an enormous increase in the unemployment of uh, black men. Uh, young black men, the unemployment rate went up to 37% unemployment rate for black. For white men, young white men, 18%. Uh, uh, it, it was discrimination against young people who don't have very, very much in the way of experience and against uh, black people who had, uh, uh, the, 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 where there was discrimination in society. And so the, in, the introduction of the minimum wage, which Walter Williams called the new Jim Crow laws, uh, had this tremendously damaging effect on, on the black community and on young people, you know, and it forced them into... They had to go to schools in order to get the training that they couldn't get paid to do on the job because they weren't uh, allowed to get the low-cost on-the-job training uh, that gave them the skills while working and earning sure. their money. Now they have to pay money to, to schools to get the training. So to, to tie this back in a little bit to our earlier discussion, let's, let's talk about the, the whole baking the cake uh, situation from Gary Johnson. Right. Similar situation. Right. You have the private property owner, the baker, who doesn't want to bake a cake for a certain customer. Uh, the, liber the libertarian argument against that would be like, well, why would he not want to bake the cake? Because in not baking the cake, he loses money and he loses customers. And he was if the goal of business is profit, he would do anything to maximize his profit. And that uh, profit motive is the cure for racism. Um, but as we found out over the years, it's, it is not, people don't want to bake cake for people they don't like and nor should they, they have, and they to. lose business. If they want to, they do exercise those, those discrimination, they lose business. They cost them financially to do so. That's the great thing about the marketplace. Um, the marketplace will penalize people for discriminatory behavior on non-performance grounds, but they're willing to accept that penalty. They go like, yeah, no, 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 they, I'd, I'd rather pay right. this penalty and have less customers than serve that guy. And the, the, the libertarian principle, of non-aggression principle, has to accept that behavior as long as it's voluntary behavior. But Gary Johnson violated that by saying that, this, you know, so he was not behaving as a libertarian 
even though he's libertarian presidential candidate, so what? He was behaving um, inappropriately, applying the the non-aggression principle there. Fair enough. So again, to to, to bring this back around to the article, um, since you and MC both kind of disagreed with the premise of the article, is it fair then to say that there's not really uh, a left-right divide amongst libertarians by definition, but whether or not um, that left-right divide is caused by behaviors unbecoming of a libertarian? Right, like when when the when the issue arises on you know the the for for the for the right libertarians, um, the immigration issue, right? It's not that it's 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 the libertarian position or it's the right libertarian position. It's in this particular issue they are not taking the libertarian position, and therefore it is not a left right thing. It's just not libertarian. Um, and same on the left when you talk about uh, social justice uh, issues or the the rejection of private ownership of, of resources. It's not that it's a left libertarian position. It's that it is not a libertarian position at all and therefore shouldn't be defined within that scope. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't. Libertarian, I narrowly define as do you adhere to the non-aggression principle? But I don't necessarily say you're a good libertarian or a bad libertarian. You know, be, a, be a bad libertarian if you're nasty, brutish, and and unkind to people. If you're a nice person. and I mean, here you're talking about moral imperatives on the plus side what should you do and there are a lot of people who say well uh, you know a good christian or a good uh, moral upright uh, benevolent person remember that adam smith's first book before he wrote the wealth of nations uh the moral was sentiment the, or something like that yeah the theory of moral sentiments yeah. uh, this enormous benevolent the impulse to benevolence that people have they care for people around them and they they have that impulse and it's there's, not required of them. And there's also an, an impulse to shame other people uh, because of their uh, political views and, and you know, find, pick on any small uh, detail of immorality that's different from theirs. <laughs> well, please continue with that because that is the essence of cancel culture as it stands now. Well, I mean, like I said, there's uh, people have impulses, you know, people's natural impulses day to day are normally uh, a positive thing. It's like, how, how do you want people to see you? You, you want them to see you in a, in a positive way. So you do positive things in your community. And, and you know, you, you don't just steal things. You know, if they want some money, okay, I'll give them some money. Even if I don't want to, I should have it for free. But, you know, everybody goes to the store and they, they don't, don't just grab stuff and run away. I mean, on a normal day. Um, so, so, yeah, that's the 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 impulse is is usually good but when it's uh you know comes to uh political issues it's it's to the the impulse is to uh shame people and knock people down so that can make you higher on on the on the status of moral superiority All right. let's let's talk about this for a second because i was thinking about this the other day so this is an incomplete thought but i'm going to throw it out there to bounce the idea off of you, MC, and off of you, KS. Uh, the cancel culture, uh, from today's perspective, is kind of nuts. It's kind of a menace. It seems overblown uh, and and so way too fucking PC for any of current uh, current mental health, I guess. Uh, but because uh, younger generations are growing up in cancel culture could this lead to uh 
better behaved politicians in the future because they know that if that's a course that they've ever going to take, they have to be on their absolute 100% best behavior uh, from the moment they're cognizant of the world around them uh, to not to not put any uh, marks on their record uh, going forward. Right? Like the guy running for high school vice president, right? If he's, if he's considering a role in politics, he's not going to do anything in high school, college, or early on for fear that it will come out uh, and ruin his aspirations and his dreams, uh, leading to better behaved politicians in the future. Is that, is that a possible, uh, am I, am I looking way too fucking far on the bright side of this? Yeah, you are. Okay. Because it, it, it doesn't generally turn out that way. It's like, but it could, but it, you got to wait generations for the, for the results of cancel culture to bear out. What, What is cancel culture? Oh, basically what MC was just talking about. The idea that uh, uh, all your past transgressions can now be brought to light uh, to ruin your career. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. So like uh, for for instance, um, like Jimmy Kimmel, uh, you know, is, is pretty well high up there on the left. He's got his own TV show. Uh, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, a left, not even left libertarian, just a left uh, uh, liberal commentator with his own late night TV show. Right. Um, but at one point in time, he painted himself Brown and impersonated Carl Malone. And so they went, Jimmy Kimmel did blackface canceled Jimmy Kimmel. Right. And so they, they raise a muck. He cancels his show. No one will advertise with him. His career is down the shitter. Uh, no one's going to book him anywhere. Um, because at some point, 20 years ago, he put on blackface for a comedy bit and they go unacceptable. You, you should have never done that. So now he should get into politics. He'll do just fine. (laughs) Well, but what I'm saying is if, if if you're a 20 year old, you know, if you're, if you're a 15, 16 teenager, 20 year old with any sort of big aspirations, right. Knowing that what you, you, knowing that your Halloween costume right for you know your your junior prom or whatever uh might come back and haunt you 30 years from now uh you might be less likely to you know dress in something that's uh well the thing is 20 or 30, appropriation 20 or 30 years ago nobody cared you're right so how would you know in the future oh i shouldn't do this when you it's wouldn't not a, it's not a thing so anyway that's like I say. it doesn't you it wouldn't doesn't generally work out that way it g- generally, but the, the, but cancel culture wasn't a thing 30 years ago. So there was no expectation that it would become a thing. It is well, now it, a thing. It, it There's existed. now a generation of people. I think it existed. Uh, for example, if you had been outed as gay, um, it could have ruined your career. Um, or it had been a communist, a member of the communist party. Uh, it could shatter your career there, there, this sort of phenomenon exists throughout history mm-hmm. to the extent that it exists now maybe it's, even more so like yeah. you could you couldn't get into politics now because you were uh you, because you were a member of the communist party in the 60s right like no, that's no, that's the level like oh not, you were a communist now, then, but you had a change of opinion no if you had wanted to get into politics in the 1950s or 60s and they outed you as having been a member of the communist yeah. party no, I mean the the phenomena existed. It's not okay. the same issues. Yeah, the issue, the issues are constantly evolving and changing. But okay, well, if that's the case, then cancel culture now isn't a big deal. 
no. we're just taking uh, we're just objecting to the things that they that the current generation deems cancelable. Right. Right. Like blackface thirty years ago or twenty years ago is now objectionable, uh, but twenty years ago it wasn't. So mm-hmm. today you get canceled. Twenty years ago, eh, it was just a funny bit. Mm-hmm. And so you just deal with you just deal with it. Yeah. Like how, what's well, the you, you you like I said, Jimmy Kimmel should should run for office, and he would do much better because that's uh, all they would bring. That's all his opponents would bring up, though. Uh, okay, look at this but, fool in blackface. <laughs> but it, but at least he would get uh, popularity from that. He would get in the news. It would it would, it would work. It would work towards his benefit if he ran for office. Probably. All right. KS? That's a good point. I think that Trump has uh, never apologized for anything. And my guess is that he could have, they, they could pull out lots and lots of stuff that if you're embarrassed by it and apologetic, it that's what hurts your career. If you're not embarrassed by it and you shine it on and you say, oh, so big deal, um, that seems to bring you more attention and spotlight. And uh, I mean, it's worked for, for Trump. Will it work for anybody else? Is that and is and is that the deciding factor of whether or not you kowtow to the council culture or if you take responsibility and ownership and just go like, yeah, so what? Exactly. You caught me in blackface, <laughs> sit and swirl. It exactly. was funny then. It's funny now. Go fuck yourself. Well, I wouldn't say culture. it's funny now. It's just something it's that happened. Blackface is funny. I I mean, I don't really care, but it's just <laughs> I don't like why. It, 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 why is it funny? Yeah. Why is it funny? Have you seen the Jimmy Kimmel bit where he's dressed no, up as Carmela? I haven't. Go go fucking watch it. It's funny. Okay. Okay. And if it was a black dude making fun of Carl Malone, it'd be it would be just as funny. It just happens to be Jimmy Kimmel because he did, did a weird Carl Malone impression. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't have a problem with it in comedy. No, I, no, I don't have a problem with it either. Okay. In in comedy or otherwise, but I I just don't. I don't know. I, I guess it's not my type of comedy. Like I just uh, I don't care. Oh okay. <laughs> I found that hilarious as much as I found uh, Eddie Murphy. You know putting on white face mm-hmm. to, 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 you know, ah, oh, the day of a white man's kit from like the <laughs> fucking eighties. Right. It was yeah, funny. I, and I, yeah. I would probably think that would be more funny than, than the Kimmel and blackface, but well, you know, I'll have to watch them both. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. And get back to me. Cause I don't, did, again, go, oh, go did ahead, Eddie guys. Murphy do a white face? Yes. It was hilarious. <laughs> he, he got a free seat on the bus, paid less for his newspaper. It was, it was funny. <laughs> I'll, you know, after the show, I know you got We got to uh, wrap this up so you can get to your brunch, but take the time to watch both of those back to back. As far as comedy is concerned, uh, that shit's funny. You know, like it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to put on like the racist hat and go like, oh, that's despicable. He should not be doing that. And, you know, boo <laughs> on him forever doing that. And, you know, whatever, man. It's, yeah. fuck, it's, it's funny. It's yeah. funny. All right. Uh, final thoughts. Either of you guys. Nope. All right, let's wrap it up then. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.